The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City. Uh, I'm going to be reading Luke 19, 38 to 42 in English and in, in Tagalog. Uh, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples, I tell you, he replied. If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Now I'm going to read it in Tagalog. Sinabi nila, Pinagpalang haring dumarating sa pangalan ng Panginoon, kapayapaan sa langit, papuri sa kataas-taasan. Sinabi naman sa kanya ng ilang pareseong kasama ng karamihan, Guro, patigilin nga po ninyo ang inyong mga alagad. Sumagot siya, sinasabi ko sa inyo, kapag tumahimik sila, ang mga bato na ang siyang sisigaw. Nang malapit na siya sa Jerusalem at natatano na siya ang lungsod, ito'y kanyang tinangisan. Sinabi niya, kung, kung nalaman mo lamang sa araw na ito ang kung anong magkakapagdulot sa inyo ng kapayapaan, ngunit ito'y lingit ngayon sa inyong paningin. This is the word of the Lord. Safam? Just to make sure there is no confusion, I'm Jared. Just making sure. Uh, welcome to Story City Church. This is the Burbank location. We have a Granada Hills location. Either way, we're a family of churches and we are excited. As I said, my name is Jared. I have the honor of being one of the pastors here. And, uh, and what a great Sunday to be here together. Welcome to those of you joining us online and those who are suffering for the gospel outside. We are still glad that you're here. But especially want to welcome you friends and neighbors who are joining us at Story City for the very first time. Jesus said there were two things that were most important. The first was to love God with everything we are and everything we have. And as if that wasn't hard enough, he said the second command was equal to it, and that's to love our neighbors as ourselves. What does that mean? It means to extend the same rights, the same grace, the same belief that their intentions are good, the same concern as we would actually show for ourselves. That seems near impossible. Because it's not a natural thing to love God and to love people that way. This is what we're about as a church, learning how to have healthy relationships with God and with people. And so welcome. We are glad that you are here uh, to join us on our journey. It's a difficult one. For those of you who are taking notes this morning, our big idea for the day is this, that Jesus was, is, and will be the answer to our deepest need. Jesus was, is, and will be the answer to our deepest need. We're going to see today how Jesus answers our need for hope, our need for help, and our need for Hosanna. Yes, I'm a pastor, so alliteration is important. That's why everything starts with an H this morning. It's how we do it. So for hope, for help, and for Hosanna, let's pray, and then we will uh, jump into this this morning. Father God, once again, we just come before you. Father, some of us were dragged here, some of us came because it felt like something we kind of had to do. Some of us were looking forward to this day, but all of us, Lord, need you in ways that are hard sometimes to put into words. 
And so as we, as we come before you this morning, I pray that, uh, Lord, everything that I do would, would just be out of the way and that you would speak to the hearts of all of us, that you would meet us where we're at. Lord, whether we're close to you or far from you, whether we feel like you're forever and possibly away or whether we feel like we've been close to you our whole lives, I pray that you would meet us in ways that help us to understand that you are the answer to our needs. And so would you just speak, Lord, we want to be good listening people this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. Exactly, I know, I agree. Picture this with me, if you will. The sounds are unusually loud for this time in the morning, and yet as boisterous and chaotic as they are, they're filled with hope and joy and just merriment. The kids run and play while the parents make last-minute preparations. It's Passover festival time. It's one of the three times during the year that we're required to make the journey to Jerusalem. You see, we, we learn in the synagogues, but we worship together in the temple, and that from here in Capernaum is a five to seven day walk from here. And so we'll journey together. I mean, everyone's going. And so it's fun. It's not just fun because it's this large crowd, which also makes it much safer. But it's fun because we're going to be going together towards something and the anticipation is going to build. Now, as we go along, we're going to pick up more and more people from uh, other towns and villages along the way who are also making the journey It's not really safe to go through Samaritan territory, and so we're going to cut across, even though it's faster that way, we're going to cut across the Jordan River just after Bet Sheehan, and we'll come back across the Jordan just before Jericho. The last 13 miles are uphill, but that's when it gets fun, because that's when everybody starts singing. They're going to be singing songs that we call the Psalms of Ascent, and though a number of these Psalms, a number of psalms in general focus on lament and repentance. These psalms are really upbeat. They're filled with hope and they help us remember and look forward to God fulfilling the promises that he has told us for a long time. But that's not the only reason I'm excited about this journey. This year, this year Rabbi Jesus is walking with us. There's a a tension in the air. His explanation about the kingdom of God is so different from the Pharisees and other rabbis. Sometimes it's hard to grasp because it seems so far from what we've been taught most of our lives. And Jesus is going to be teaching all along the way. Now, he's going to be having conversations with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, but for the most part, he seems to actually want to and does have a conversation with us normal people. Being around him never feels normal. It feels like you just never know what's going to happen. I mean, it's all the feels when I'm with him, but it's the question that won't let me go. The question that everyone seems to be asking, especially this year, who is this Jesus? Jesus would have taken this trip many times throughout his life. In fact, there's a story of Jesus when he's 12 years old. He goes to this family, and his family's like, well, we're on our way home. Jesus must be playing with the cousins and everybody. And so they're traveling, and it's the, the end of the first day before they realize he's not here. Jesus is still hanging back at the temple teaching the teachers. And so his parents have to rush back, and I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, well, of course I would be here in my father's house. But Jesus knows this journey is 
his last. Jesus isn't just coming to celebrate Passover this year. Jesus is going to become the Passover lamb. It's the end of Jesus' public ministry. And these things have reached a fever pitch. The Gospel of John chapter 11 tells us that everyone's talking about him in the temple. Some people have already arrived ahead of Jesus' group. And, and they're wondering aloud, is Jesus going to show up? Is Jesus going to show up? And the reason they're wondering, John tells us, is because the disciples, uh, I mean, sorry, the, the Pharisees have issued an arrest warrant for Jesus. And so people are like, is, is he really going to show up here? Is he going to get arrested? What's going to happen? Now, the disciples who are with them, we forget, are teenagers. They're teenagers. Peter being the oldest among them, but still a teenager. And Jesus has been entrusting them with the kingdom and preparing them for what's next. But in their minds, what's next can only seem like the immediate establishment of the kingdom of God here and now. The banishment of the Romans from their lands and the the right to rule, the freedom from oppression. I mean, what else left is there for Jesus to show him? He's got to be the guy. As Jesus nears Jerusalem, there we go, as Jesus, as Jesus nears Jerusalem, he comes down and across. The Bible says that large crowds are with him. There's hope and the longing for hope are desperately clinging to these groups that are there and it's expressed so eloquently in Psalms of Ascent. These songs being sung, that last leg, especially from Jericho up to the Mount of Olives. Songs that remind them of the promises of God has made to rescue and redeem Israel. Psalms like Psalm 123. I lift my eyes to you, the one enthroned in heaven, like a servant's eyes on his master's hand, like a servant girl's eyes on her mistress's hand. So our eyes are on the Lord God until he shows us favor. Show us favor, Lord. Show us favor. We've had more than enough contempt. We can relate to that, can't we? We've had more than enough scorn from the arrogant and contempt from the proud. This hope isn't just present in the Psalms, but it's present because the word has been spreading about his miracles. People can feel it. The Bible says the crowds were huge. As Jesus and the crowd and the spectators who aren't quite participating and the other pilgrims who are just kind of wandering wandering by and the disciples, as they begin this last ascent from Jericho to Jerusalem, I mean, the two blind men that he just healed outside of Jericho are there with them. They're right there for everyone to see. See what I did there? See, blind men? You guys are slow this morning. And wake up. All right, all right. As Jesus and his entourage reach the village of Bethany, even Lazarus, whom people witness Jesus raised from the dead, is there. I mean, what else do you need to see? How do you deny that this is the guy who can finally oust the Romans when zombie Lazarus is right there with you? Right? Romans? What do they got? We got an army of the undead with us. My D&D folks are like, we got this. Wait, when was my last long rest? I don't know. Jesus crests the Mount of Olives and Jerusalem at long last comes into view. And this brings us back to our scripture for today. Now, previously we stood in honor of 
God's word, and I'm not going to ask you to stand, but I would ask you to prepare your hearts to hear God's word inspired by the Holy Spirit through Luke directly to us this morning. Luke 19, and we're going to read 28 to 44. It says this. When he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent to his disciples and said, go into the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find a colt tied there to which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone, anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent left and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, sure enough, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? The Lord needs it, they said. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their clothes on the colt, they helped Jesus get on it. As he was going along, they were spreading their clothes on the road. Now he came near the path down the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. He's quoting the Psalms here. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. As he approached and saw the city, he wept for it, saying, If you knew this day what would bring peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. For the days will come on you when your enemies will build a barricade around you, surround you, and hem you in on every side. They will crush you and your children among you to the ground, and they will not leave one stone on another in your midst because you did not recognize the time when God visited you. Rome would indeed destroy the city of Jerusalem and the temple down to its foundation not many years later, but it's this moment atop the Mount of Olives that stands out for me. This, at the bottom of your picture, is the Temple Mount. It's where the temple stood before, but there's not one stone left on a stone, and so this is all that you have left. Now you see the Dome of the Rock there, the graveyards in front, and this view is looking down across from the Mount of Olives, the Kidron Valley. The Kidron Valley is very small. It's not big. You can see it there. But the Mount of Olives would have been where everybody who was pilgriming who didn't have a place inside the city to stay, would have been camping out on and hanging out on, just like Jesus. And so this is what you see when you get to the very top of Mount of Olives. You're finally able to see the city of Jerusalem. It's this awe-inspiring moment. It's the top of the hill. It's the top of your ascent. It's the end of the 13 miles. And in that moment that should have brought the most joy and the most hope, Jesus comes to the end of his pilgrimage and he begins to weep. He weeps for the lostness of the people because they still don't get it. This brings us to our first observation for those taking notes today. Our first observation is that Jesus answers our need for hope. Jesus answers our need for hope. The reason there's so much excitement around Jesus is the hope that maybe, just maybe, that this is the promised Messiah the scriptures have been speaking of since the book of Genesis, the very first book in the Bible. The one who would establish an everlasting kingdom and finally stop the oppression and injustice the people of Israel have been facing for as long as they had been a people. This hope, this desperation for hope had been part of them just as long. These songs of ascent were sung by the psalmist 
perhaps as long as a thousand years before this moment. Psalms begging for rescue. Psalms like Psalm 130, Out of the depths I call to you, Lord. Lord, listen to my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for help. Lord, if you keep an account of iniquities, that's sin, who who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be revered. I wait for the Lord. I wait and put my hope in his word. I wait for the Lord more than a watchman for the morning. More than a watchman for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For there is faithful love with the Lord, and with him is redemption in abundance, and he will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. Here they are on this pilgrimage with the Redeemer of Israel, and they still don't understand what he's actually doing. They truly don't understand who Jesus is, but it's not that he hasn't been trying to tell them. He has been. We see this most clearly in the beginning of the passage. In verses 30 to 35, we see Jesus steal a donkey. No, we we see him borrow a donkey. (laughs) He did talk to the owners. You guys are a little bit like, can I laugh in church? It's fine. You guys are fine. It's all right, okay? No one's going to strike you dead. It's good. God's got you. That's all right. But the part of the reason he's doing this, some of you are like, this is a Palm Sunday message. I know. It's okay. This whole idea is to help us understand who Jesus is. And so Jesus borrowing the donkey is the fulfillment of the prophet Zechariah who said the king would be humble, a king who was proclaiming peace, not war. That doesn't fit with the need to be rescued from the Roman occupiers. The prophet Isaiah said he wouldn't come as a conquering king, but as a suffering servant. And so they're welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem as a king, but the only kind of king that they can imagine. Verse 36 of our scripture today tells us, as he was going along, they were spreading their clothes on the road and he came near the path down the Mount of Olives that you saw earlier and the whole crowd of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Again, you've got Lazarus with you. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Now, for the people of Israel, for the blind men, and for Lazarus, the Psalms of Ascent culminate in this moment where they believe is their hope for rescue. But Jesus knows they have a greater need. And so for those taking notes today, this is our second observation for today. Jesus answers our need for help. Jesus answers our need for help. Now, when I say help, I'm not saying like, good assist, buddy Jesus. I'm not talking about like, hey, I I appreciate you coming alongside me. No, I'm talking about the kind of deep need, that cry for help that is, if there is no rescue, it means certain death. That's the help that we need and the help that Jesus offers. In verses 37 and 38, Luke records, now he came down the path near the Mount of Olives and the whole crowd began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for the miracles they'd seen. And they sing this song, blessed is king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. It's a reference to Psalm 118. It's a reference to Psalm 118. It's a psalm about the Messiah. The very fact they mention everything, anything from this psalm at all is a psalm that points to, they are saying Jesus is Messiah. He is the coming king. And saying even one verse from this psalm would have evoked the entire verse. Everybody who heard a piece of that would have understood that they meant all of it. 
It's why Luke only records a part of that psalm, while Matthew records more of that psalm because he gets it. Luke says, if I just give you this part, you're going to understand what I mean. And Matthew gives a little bit fuller. In Matthew 21, 8 and 9, he describes it as this. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. Then the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. That word Hosanna found in both Psalm 118 and Matthew 21 means Lord save us. Lord save us. By saying blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're crying out for salvation. Save us. You see, the problem was they believed their deepest need was freedom from Roman occupation and oppression because that was the greatest pressing need that they could see in that moment. And while it was horrific and God detested it, it was not their greatest need, which is why Jesus is weeping. Because their greatest need is the same as ours, the need to be raised from death to life. They need to be freed, not from our oppression first, but first from our enslavement to sin. One author writes, Jesus is there for something much bigger than ruling a simple city in the middle of long contested borders. Jesus doesn't want to write their relationship with the Romans. He wants to write all of creation's relationship with the creator. When the crowds discover that Jesus is not going to establish a physical kingdom that will free them from the immediate bondage to the Romans, they actually turn on Jesus and it's those same people that incite the Romans to crucify him the one they called king just days before. Like the crowds with Jesus, we often share the same misunderstanding. Instead of asking, who is Jesus? We ask, who is Jesus to me? Like them, we don't understand our deepest need, which brings us to our third and final observation for today. Whether we realize it or not, the deepest cry of our hearts is for rescue. Because here is the point that Jesus is our, the answer to our Hosanna. Jesus is the answer to our Hosanna. See, often we look at our issues and we say, where's God? Because we don't see him, see him dealing with what seems to be the most deep need of our hearts, the deepest need that is physically present in our lives. Because we don't see him dealing with those things, we're like, God doesn't care. God is not here. Pastor N.T. Wright says it like this. Everyone wants Jesus to ride into the city and be the sort of king that they want him to be. Jesus intends to answer their prayers as he intends to answer ours. He doesn't wait for our motives to be pure. He has come to seek and rescue the lost. However, at the same time, he must answer in his own way. Precisely because Jesus says yes, the people's desires, the deepest level. He will have to say no or wait to the desires they are conscious of and which they express. Lazarus was raised to life by Jesus, but he would die again. We get that, right? Lazarus is raised to life by Jesus, but it's only a temporary reprieve from physical death. 
The Jews' deepest desire was for freedom. But Jesus came to bring freedom from spiritual slavery, from spiritual death first, and then he would answer their physical needs. And that is our story as well. See, here's the gospel. The gospel is that God created a kingdom and he is creator king over that kingdom. He created man and woman in his image, his likeness to be his representations of him. A visible picture, a visible display of who God is and how he leads and how he loves and how he cares. And even though he's king, he made humans as his representatives to rule over that kingdom in a way that points to him. We've done a terrible job of that. And so God tasks humans to to be obedient to him, to trust him, to obey him as he leads us in his ways. But Adam and Eve rejected that call. We committed treason against God. In doing so, they became sinful. Becoming sinful, uh, they would begin to die spiritually as would all of their offspring, everybody that comes after them, all humanity. And then every human was born under the judgment and wrath of God because of that. We're all dead with no hope of redemption, with no hope of raising ourselves. In addition to living under the wrath of God, with no hope for redemption and being dead spiritually, we're made to leave the garden and the perfect relationship between God and humanity. The perfect relationship between humanity, each other, and the perfect relationship between humanity and all of creation gets clapped. But God has a plan to rescue and renew all creation through the person and work of Jesus. God makes a covenant with Abraham and later King David that through, these, through this family line, he would bring restoration and reconciliation through a Messiah. This Messiah would be God and take the wrath of God and the sins of the elect on himself through his death and resurrection, he would then give his own righteousness to those he had rescued. All of this was accomplished in the person and work of Jesus the Messiah. Jesus is fully God and fully man at the same time and becomes our Redeemer, our sacrificial lamb who takes on God's wrath, our sin, and our punishment on himself so that we can be reconciled to the Father with our debt paid. The Bible says that not only can we not save ourselves or wake ourselves up from the dead, But even if we did, we wouldn't have the faith to believe in him to apprentice Jesus unless he gave that to us as well. It comes from him. We couldn't even do that without him. But the best part is that we aren't just saved from his wrath. We are saved for his purposes. We aren't just new citizens of his kingdom. The Bible says that those who are apprenticing Jesus are now adopted into the family of God, the living God as legitimate daughters and sons of the king, sharing the inheritance with Jesus. That's incredible. You see, it doesn't matter if we're the blind ones in the story who have just experienced healing. It doesn't matter if we are undead Lazarus. It doesn't matter if we're the Pharisees or the children singing or the spectators. It doesn't even matter if we are the Romans. In the end... We are all of those people, family. And we all have the same deepest need. The need for Hosanna. And the answer is Jesus. Not once to be some sort of insurance, a prize that keeps us out of hell. No, we need him continually for life and life to the fullest. Worship team, you can make your way back up. In verse 40, the Pharisees try to get Jesus to stop the people from praising him. And it says this, verse 40, 
He answered, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. Paul writes to the church in Rome, Romans 8, 22 to 23, it says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we, find, but we ourselves, who have the Spirit as first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Family, even creation has been awaiting its redemption and reconciliation, though it has recognized its Redeemer much better than us. But it's the question that still needs to be answered. Who is Jesus? Family, Jesus was, he is, and he will be the answer to our deepest need. Our need for hope, our need for help, and the only answer to our cry for Hosanna. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your incredible mercy. I thank you that you love us for who we are, not for who we might be someday, but as we are, as broken and jacked up as, as we are. Father, so many times when we're honest with ourselves, it seems like how could you possibly love me? And yet, not only do you love us, you've adopted us into your family. You've given us rights as your children. You have offered everything. You have allowed us to belong before we even believed. What an amazing, gracious God you are. I thank you that we don't have to be good enough to earn it, that we get to rely on your goodness. And so, Father, as we come before you this morning and we celebrate the resurrection of your son, we celebrate what your son has done for us out of your goodness, out of your greatness, not because of our goodness, we say thank you in the deepest ways we know how. Lord, move in us and through us. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.